Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You are about to hear a spoiler-filled discussion about the themes, the characters, and the plot, and everything else that comes to this movie. I am joined today by my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, what's up, man? What's up? We are back here on the podcast. Uh, I have a question for you, Rob, just to start things out. Um, Do you like scary movies? (laughs) I like scary podcasts. Perfect. (laughs) Well, then you're in the right place. Yeah, so it's October now. Um, The weather's getting a little cooler. People are sipping on that pumpkin spice. And for whatever reason, this is the time of year that everyone starts uh, clicking those scary movies, starts watching them. And so we thought we should cover one in the podcast, right? That is what we are doing today. Last year, for our sort of Halloween-ish episode, we did The Shining, I believe. We did. Uh, we did. We did. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this this uh, this year uh, we are doing we're diving into the Scream franchise a little bit. Yeah, so we're going to die. We'll talk about the whole franchise a bit, but particularly the movie, what it means, what it means when it came out. And I think the ground level set of what we have to talk about with this movie is what is your feeling about slasher movies? Because this movie is rooted in slasher movies, slasher movie history. Um, not just horror movies, but slasher movies particularly. So what is your feeling about them? So slasher movies, especially the ones that this movie is in conversation with, as you would say, uh, but that is concerned with are a big thing of the 80s, Um, like the classic, classic slasher movies. So we're talking what Halloween, Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. um, Yeah, three franchises that they're the Holy Trinity of slasher franchises, which is Halloween comes out in 1978, uh, really changes uh, one of the most influential indie films of all time. Just ever after that movie comes out, everyone wants to make their own Halloween. And so two years later, 1980, uh, Friday the 13th comes out literally like a cheap knockoff. Like, hey, we're going to go. But probably became the biggest slasher franchise in the 80s because they're just cranking out those movies over and over again because they're cheap to make. Uh, I heard I asked a producer one time, like, why do you make so many slasher movies? Um, Why do studios make so many? And they're like, because you don't need a star. All you need is a guy in a mask. And it's like you can put anyone in a mask and then boom, you have a movie. And then the third one, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, right. Um, All dudes in masks, pretty much. I mean, Freddy Freddy Krueger's got a super messed up face. It's not really a mask. Right. He's actually the one who's not in a mask. He is, uh, I mean, messed up face, but it's Robert England. He's the same character kind of playing or he's the same actor in all the Friday the 13th movies. Right. Sort of. Oh, sort of. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, not Friday the 13th. Right. Nightmare on Elm Street, to be clear. Um, sort of uh, like the um, I'm now forgetting his name, but the uh, the main sort of villain throughout all the Saw movies. Um, same guy. Um, all the way through. Jigsaw? Jigsaw, there it is. <laughs> I was like... Uh, I was like, I know he has Saw in his name. I couldn't think, but I was like, yeah, Jigsaw is his name. Okay, but what are your, what are your feelings about them? What is your relationship yeah, what are, with these slasher movies? So, so, as with many of the things that come out of the 80s, you and I talk about, I don't have that close of relationship to them. In fact, when I'm thinking about all of these films, I don't know that I've seen any of the actual franchises of any of those three. I've seen... Uh, I saw the modern reboot of uh, Friday or no, oh, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Halloween. With, no, oh, not Halloween of Nightmare on Elm Street. We, 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 they came out like 13 years ago with Rooney Mara. Yeah. It was fine. Um, but um, apparently not as good as the originals. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't have a very close relationship uh, with them. I was sort of introduced to slashers through the Scream franchise. Um, cause those came out more in the nineties and they were more of a thing for me growing up. So then when I sort of got into, uh, slashers and revisiting things that I'd missed in college, scream was where I started and, and sort of powered through that franchise. So honestly, scream, which is a commentary on earlier stuff is sort of my like, uh, canon of what slasher movies feel like. It's interesting for me. Cause as we know, I did grow up in the eighties. And one thing about growing up in the 80s is I remember going to the VHS store. This is like even like pre-Blockbuster. This one, they had like stores in the local strip mall or in your grocery store, King Supers, that sort of thing. I remember walking through the aisles 
and you would get to the horror movie aisle. Like I would just accidentally turn into it as like seven, eight years old. So and gross. dude, I can vividly remember VHS co- covers of movies that I've never seen. I can picture what they look like in their head, in my head. And those VHS covers were traumatizing. So yeah. my, mostly what I remember is the Friday the 13th cover with like the knife going through Jason's mask and the fright or the nightmare on Elm street with Freddie's face and that sort of thing. Like I remember all those covers. I remember yeah. the posters like in stranger things. Uh, one of the seasons they, or no, it's not stranger things. It's it. They actually have um, nightmare on Elm street five comes out and the posters there. And I just remember being a kid, like walking by just the posters, yeah. just the cover art was terrifying, bro. Totally. I, that VHS aisle, uh, bit. I had the same experience as a kid. I remember we, we had like uh, a little movie rental section in the local Safeway right up the street from my house. And yeah, when you'd when you'd walk through the the horror aisle, like, I I remember the um the cover to Leprechaun, a movie I've never Leprechaun. seen. Uh, Jennifer Aniston's in that. <laughs> really, I did see. Yeah, a little. This little is trivia. this is this is my uh my lack of knowledge on uh on slashers but yeah i remember yeah as as a kid being like why would anyone ever want to watch something like this um and sometimes i still feel that way i sort of go back and forth about like sort of the not to get weirdly ethical about the scream franchise but should i have a good time watching people get murdered because i do think at the end of the day slasher films are supposed to feel like roller coasters. They're supposed to be fun because they're scary. Um, And fun is sort of the like the main thing they're trying to do. It's their main job. And so there is sometimes I do ask myself that question of like, should I be having fun watching people get murdered? Well, I think the meaning of this movie, just to like jump into what Scream is, is a reflection on slasher movies themselves. And it's very important. We talk a lot about who directed this movie, but mm-hmm. it's very important to note that Wes Craven, the guy who made Nightmare on Elm Street, the guy who was one of the godfathers of the slasher franchise, is making a movie about slasher movies. So right. he is reflecting on the art and the content he made. I actually got to see a screening of Nightmare on Elm Street uh, probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, And it was in L.A. and Wes Craven was there in the audience, like introducing the movie and talking about what that movie meant and what that movie was meant to him. And he's so intelligent and thoughtful about what this movie is and even was a little reflective of like, you guys are about to cheer for a bunch of murders. And I'm not sure if that's right. And so I think this is his own reckoning with these slasher movies and not just as a society, society, we're consuming them. But what is it doing to these kids who are watching these movies and growing up on them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that is really interesting. And to know that the director was wrestling sort of with that as well, to some degree, or was having his own thoughts about that. Um, that, that honestly surprises me a little bit for someone who made his career out of flash movies. Like that's really all, all we know him for. He, he directed all the first four screen movies, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, and something that I do love about screen as I was watching it again last night and I was thinking about it is I was thinking about how tongue in cheek this movie is while also being incredibly sincere at the same time that it doesn't ever like devolve into parody while it is standing on the doorstep of parody the whole movie. Like, it's so self-referential. It's so um, it's talking openly about all of these horror movies from the 80s. Um, but it, it it somehow still maintains a heart and this like soul of sincerity somehow, which I, I found sort of captivating while I was watching it last night because I thought it was going to be more fun and a little bit sillier than it ends up actually being. This movie is not the naked gun. This movie is no. not hot shots. It's not, hey, we're going to do a bunch of jokes about what this is. Although there are jokes through the whole movie, very self-referential. One of the best jokes in the movie is the principal goes out of his office. He hears something and he's like, oh, not you, Fred. Sorry. And it's literally Wes Craven, director cameo, wearing a sweater from Freddy Krueger, mopping the aisle. I mean, mopping the hallway of the school. And so it's it's like It's a great little Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. There well, are jokes and, and, all through this movie. And the whole thing of, of them like talking about the like 
scary movie rules, the whole sequence where, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, uh, but the the nerd kid, uh, the movie nerd who is like standing in front of the TV, like listing yeah, all Jamie of the rules. Kennedy. Yeah, Jamie Kennedy. I, I don't know what his character's name is. Yeah. I forget what his character's name is. Yeah. Um, but and they're in, you know, he's like listing all the things you need to do to like survive a horror m- movie, one of which is like, don't get naked and have sex. And they're intercutting it with the main character doing that upstairs. Right. Yep. It's like it's so on the nose while still somehow being like it has like, like I said, it has this soul where that wasn't like funny to me. It was like lean forward. Moment, you know. Morally, I don't know what I think about slasher movies. But as films, I think there's only two really good ones, and that's the original Halloween and the original Nightmare on Elm Street. What's amazing about Scream is it's as good or maybe better than both of those movies. And so I think I think you're spot on with the fact that this is a really funny movie, but it's also dude, I was so compelled watching this. I've I haven't seen it for probably 10 years or so. And so I was just hooked into the mystery, hooked into the jokes, just Along for the ride, I was like, this is a well-made movies. It's very 90s, but it still really plays and holds up and is the best in the franchise by far, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, it, I have been to talk, to talk about the franchise a little bit. And we don't need to get into this right now, but I have been surprised at how um, good they have sort of remained and to different different levels, but how they've been able to find sort of new entry points into the like um self-referential what is a horror movie what is a franchise like that they're commenting on media sort of like an episode of community (laughs) um for a now six um film run and i have not seen the sixth movie the most recent one but the first five all have a very interesting angle on film franchises and specifically slasher movies and scary movies and the tropes and everything. And without really repeating themselves, they, they found different angles each time they come back to the well. And it's kind of, to me, it was interesting each time they were coming back to the well from a completely different side that um, still, still helped me. Yeah. It's funny because the other later in the franchise that actually gets into satirizing sequels of horror movies. And so, okay, what has to happen? The sequel and that sort of thing. And they have a lot of fun with that. Um, and and but, in in universe, they have a movie called Stab in the franchise. Right. Which, which is which is the in universe version of Scream. So they've basically within the world made the movie of movie number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and it's literally about some of the characters and it's like, hey, we're going to inspire this true story and make a movie. And so it really is like a Russian doll where it's like a copy of a copy of a copy where they're like satirizing not only other movies but then themselves within the right. whole own movie right and and i i think not again not all of them are great but i am surprised at how like i i think we talk about this from time to time but how sort of deft of a hand a director has to have or a screenwriter has to have that team has to have in order to do something like this that is fun um exciting funny but then also like not uh eye-rolly or like diminishing returns right like you're talking about like the russian doll effect right like at some point you go like okay this is we're so far down the rabbit hole like what am i even watching and i think we get with that with a lot of franchises like we have we're just repeating the same thing over and over again and they found a way to find interesting fresh takes in this self-retro self-referential world that they're in which is really interesting to me yeah they really did and i have a question about scream itself which is Is this one of the most influential movies of the last 30 years? I, I think you think it is because you're asking the question. I'm I don't know that it is. I do think it was at the forefront of a lot of um, what I'm calling self-referential stuff or self-aware media. Um, media that is aware of the genre that it is in. I don't know if people are necessarily copying that so much as just we took that turn as a society and this was sort of at the front end of it. So I'm not sure that it it was like super important, um, but it certainly is doing something that became sort of a hallmark of the last 20 years. Okay, I'm going to read a list of movies because I love lists. And so here's a list for you. Vengeance, Spider-Man No Way Home, Everything, Mm -hmm. Everywhere, All at Once, Mm -hmm. The Truman Show, 
Barbie, Stranger Things, Don't Look Up. What do all these movies have in common? Uh, They're all movies we've covered on this podcast. (laughs) Correct. They are all movies we have covered on this podcast. And they are all movies that I think are inspired by Scream in some way or in conversation with Scream of like breaking that fourth wall. Vengeance is like, hey, we're going to kind of break down what a film noir is and be really meta and self-referential about it. Spider-Man No Way Home is like, hey, we're going to like break the fourth wall on what other Spider-Man movies are. Everything Everywhere at Once is really like, okay, this is what a martial art movie should be. And this is what The Matrix is. And so all of these movies kind of break that fourth wall and just become a little bit more self-aware, winking at the audience in a way that is really common now. But when Scream came out, part of what made it so amazing was like, you can't talk about Friday the 13th in a horror movie. Like, that's like breaking the rules. That's like talking about Burger King while you're inside McDonald's. Like, it just isn't allowed. And so now it's like commonplace. But when Scream came out, it was revolutionary. That, that is interesting. I mean, so Last Action Hero also does a lot of this, but in sort of a fun action movie way. Did it come out before or after Scream? They're very Last close action to the same hero, time. Last Action Hero, I believe, came out before. It was a little, I want to say it was like 93, 94. Yeah, sounds um, right. And Scream is 96. And so it's definitely that sort of thing as well but i mean i like that movie actually it did not land it did not do well commercially i think last action hero is the one you may think is the most influential because it was there first but i actually think scream was the most influential because it was their loudest that makes a lot of sense to me i mean it so i i I think that i would agree with you there in the sense of like i think like i said before culturally we were starting to lean into this like self-awareness a a lot more but this may have been the first movie to really get it right yeah so i don't i don't know but i definitely know it's incredibly commonplace now and it's just part of the fabric of movies of this breaking the fourth wall winking at the camera winking at the audience um it's just something we do now so my Um, question to you is how do you feel about that i feel about that idea yeah i think it gets played out how so I think even in something like Everything Everywhere All at Once, which bends the rules and that sort of stuff to do something really fresh and innovative, it's still like, I just want some classically made, simple Hollywood stories, simple character tells where it's not like, hey, we're in on the joke too. We know this is cheesy. Like, I think people are so scared of being cheesy. And mm-hmm. I rolled my eyes at so many 80s and 90s movies. That I in even 70s movies that I think were cheesy, but I think people are so scared of it now that they want to be like, no, we're cool. We're in on the joke. We know what you're doing. And it ruins so many films. The ones we listed are the ones that do it the best. But so many other films, it's like, okay, you're in on it, but it's kind of like turning on the lights in the middle of a haunted house. You know what I mean? It like ruins the effect. Yeah, I I honestly agree with that, too. Like, I I think there's. That fear of being cheesy is so, so present. Patty Jenkins, who uh, directed the Wonder Woman uh, movies, uh, the first of which is quite good, um, uh, has this quote where she says that, like, no one is allowed to use the word cheesy on her sets because ultimately what that gets to is people being afraid of sincerity, right, of of experiencing a sincere emotion because they're afraid that it that they might get laughed at for having a real emotion because it might feel cheesy and unearned right uh, I, th- I think we uh, talked about this a little before when uh we were t- we were talking about um uh the uh the coda podcast we talked about sincerity and um for v- versus uh something being um uh, sentimental right which is sort of the fake sincerity right um and i i think it, it, like i said at the beginning of the show i i am so surprised at how scream somehow doesn't devolve into um, not being sincere like it 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 maintains that and I think and I want to talk about most meaningful scene uh, just to jump into it um, I think that is set from the first scene of the movie and I think the first scene of the movie is done so well that the movie sort of starts off with this soul and then you know keeps keeps carrying forward if I'm making a short list of the best opening scenes of all time Scream is probably in the top 10, maybe the top five. Right. I was watching it and I was like, this is so smart. It builds the tension. Everything they're doing, 
And several things are really dated in the movie that I love, like the phone ringing, that old cordless phone sound ringing, like yeah. is so much more uh, invasive than a phone vibrating on a table. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that that phone ringing is like I'm attacking, I'm infiltrating your house. Yeah. Even the Jiffy Pop, like right now we would put a bag of popcorn in the microwave. But I remember those Jiffy Pop things and the fact that it's there and it's slowly like percolating up through the scene. It just builds so nicely. And then the di- it's really just dialogue back and forth. But Kevin Williamson, we should talk about as well. He's done a bunch of other stuff. He launched some shows. I think he did Dawson's Creek and a bunch of other things. But like his screenplay is so sharp and smart and it just sparkles in that opening scene. Absolutely. And, and I mean, there's there's obviously the surprise of like killing Drew Barrymore in the first scene. I'm um, right. Right. Uh, I'm fairly certain this could be an Internet myth. But based on what I've read, um, she was offered the Sidney Prescott part. Mm. And and she said, like, no, like, let me be the girl in the beginning. Um because like that's so much better i don't know if that's true or not but that and she she was the poster she is the poster came out she's the she's the face really big drew barrymore in scream right um which is just phenomenal marketing right um because she's she is the biggest name in the thing right and so to kill off your biggest name in the first five minutes like it's that feeling of no one is safe, which I think that opening scene does so well. Yep. Is it is it sets you on this on this path of like no one's got plot armor. If they're going to kill off the face of the poster in the first scene. Like. Anyone can die. Um, right. Which is which is super helpful, you know, to to that, like, because um, I think when we're watching movies that fit into genre storytelling, we can expect certain things to happen. And so that removes the tension. So by killing off the, your biggest star in the first seven minutes, um, like the movie's suddenly full of tension. Anybody can go. Right. Because um, they're already they're already breaking the, the rules. I also think the scene itself, like you, like you were saying, with like the invasive phone ringing and how like honestly terrifying that is. But the end of that scene is like almost heartbreaking. Like when she's crawling away from him. And her parents are like walking in the front door, but he stabbed her in the lungs so she can't scream. Right. And so her parents walk by her as she's crawling towards them and then they pick up the phone and can hear her dying. It's like that's like really heavy. Like it's actually a really emotional scene. It's not just some sort of cheap slasher like, you know, the moment where they shoot to the quarterback on the on the back porch and it's like hey look at this guy with all his intestines everywhere like that moment is like heartbreaking it's such a good point because most slasher kills it's just like these aren't people they're archetypes and so it's like hey we have the stoner archetype we have the promiscuous girl archetype we have the jock archetype you know and those are the people who get killed Drew Barrymore, one, we're so connected to her, and so we know who she is. Right. And two, she's innocent. Like most slasher characters, there is this morality, which the movie gets into, which is like, okay, if you have sex, if you drink, if you smoke, like those are the things that will get you killed. But she's just at home, like enjoying herself. And ultimately, she has parents. So she has a mom and dad who are like looking for her. And when that scene happens, I mean, I watched it last night as a parent. I was just like, oh my gosh, coming home to that is. That's true horror. Like, that's a true nightmare. Yeah. The, the, the listening to your daughter die on the phone and not knowing where she is. Like, I was like, this is so. And so it goes from there and then sort of kicks off into the movie. And I think at that point, you're sort of sucked into like, you know, the emotion as well as the like, I mean, that whole conversation in the beginning is about like movie trivia. So they're threatening through a self-referential, self-referential mechanism from from the jump and yet it's emotional and i think the movie just kind of picks up that baton and runs after that yeah so the foundation you're totally right the reason this movie works as not just a comedy but a thriller something scary and weighty in its own right is the foundation they lay in that first scene is two things one this is self-aware so we're talking about halloween we're talking about friday the 13th we're we're aware of all the tropes and so we're having fun with that but there's not really any jokes in that first scene. Right. But it is a lot of winks. Like we get how these scenes are supposed to work. And right. then two, there are real stakes, like real characters we care about. Their lives are in danger. And I also think Nev Campbell, 
like brings that sort of weight and emotion to it. Who's your most meaningful character? Um, I mean, I think far and away, she's she's probably the only person in the film. Like everyone else does start yeah. leaning more into archetypes. I think she is really the only human being. Um, even um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox are a little archetypy in this movie. They evolve into they are. into like full full characters in the future movies. Um, but uh, I, I I think she is the the obviously and is supposed to be the emotional core of the movie. Um, I think the most sort of important or meaningful character outside of her to me would be um, Jamie Kennedy's character because he is he is the guy that sort of pushes this idea of like keeping you thinking about the the tropes and the archetypes as you're watching the movie, which has the actually increases the stakes as opposed to just pointing at them and then diminishing the stakes. They're not just hanging a hat on something They're They're hanging the hat on it in order to make things scarier, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, my most meaningful scene, going back to mine real quick, is the Jamie yeah. Kennedy scene where he's talking about Halloween and they're literally watching Halloween, which is ground zero for slasher movies. Right. And he's narrating things as, you know, uh, she's losing her virginity upstairs. Like he's talking about all this sort of stuff and it's happening real time. It's so self-aware. And then moments later, uh, David Arquette's character, Dewey, is like breaking into the house and trying to figure out what's going on. And they're literally like not playing scream music. But they're playing the original Halloween music and the da da da, you know, like those jump scare sounds and that sort of thing as he's walking through the house. And I found it so effective as being both self aware and scary at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Speaking of the scariness of this movie, as I was watching it, I was, I was kind of, I was reminded at how goofy the villain in this movie is. Like even in the scenes where, you know, where you don't know who it is and it's it's ghost faced dude in a mask. Right. Like pretty bumbling, like falling out of closets, <laughs> like the scene in the bathroom where he like puts his feet down from the toilet and then the like skirt falls down around his feet. and Like you see him coming out like he's like sl- slipping on the floor. Right. Like it, very, yeah. very s- silly, goofy villain. Yet somehow the like gruesomeness of each kill when it finally happens still carries this weight or the surprise of not knowing which one of the people it is, the who the whodunit element of it is they're able to have a somewhat silly villain in like a very cartoonishly obviously bought from, you know, they say it's bought from like Party City, right? Like it's it's in a cheap costume. Um, you know, it's it's not a creepy Michael Myers mask or Freddy with knives coming out of his fingers. Like it's kind of like a silly dude. And and still there are these stakes of like being being scared when suddenly he shows up. In Friday the thirteenth or Halloween, it doesn't matter how fast you run, like Jason and Michael are just coming and they're never gonna run. They're just slowly walking at you. And as cheesy as those movies are, there is something genuinely terrifying about that. Yeah. Of like the monster's coming and he's never gonna stop. Yeah. This movie doesn't have that trick up its sleeve because it doesn't have a real monster. And so it is just like, okay, this is a high school kid or this is a neighbor or whatever else it's supposed to be. And so there is like humanity to it, which is like, okay, there's nothing supernatural. It is all the fights is like, okay, I'm tripping down the stairs or Nev Campbell kicks him and flips him over. It's like, yeah, it's not this kind of slow monster coming at you. It's this realistic thing. But I think the two things that make it scary is the gruesomeness and the fact that like, oh, this is a real person. And that's the other thing that uh, differentiates this from all other slasher movies is we know it's Michael. We know it's Jason. We know it's Freddy from the word go. This has some Agatha Christie, like who done it? Everyone's a suspect. And that's something they carry through the whole franchise. Absolutely. Yeah. You get introduced to all these all these people and yeah, you, you, you don't know who it is. So at any any point in time, the killer could be like, oh, it's me. And some of the movies, it's honestly super surprising. I was I should not have been shocked by the Scream 5 reveal, which is just called Scream. 
Um, <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, uh, I was somehow it still totally caught me off guard. I remember the first time that I watched the original scream being completely caught off guard by the fact, and here's the big spoiler, uh, for those who haven't seen a movie that came out in 1996, um, that her, her boyfriend who is horrific, the whole film, uh, is actually, you know, is, is, uh, the killer or one of them. Uh, I, re- I remember being being surprised by that and just like how well that's 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 pulled off because you're always sort of looking over your shoulder as a as a as a viewer. The twist is so great because he's so clearly the killer all throughout the movie. He's so clearly like, OK, he shows up just at the right time. He's super creepy, like everything about him is just creepy. And so it's like this guy has got to be the killer. But again, being self-aware, it's like he's so obviously the killer that he can't be the killer. <laughs> and right. so that's what you're thinking, or that's what I was thinking watching it. It's like, okay, this movie's too smart to make the boyfriend the killer. Yeah, yeah. So quick question about him. Um, is he the worst boyfriend in movie history? Dude, if, even if he didn't kill everyone around him and try to kill his own girlfriend, he's got to be one of the worst boyfriends ever. He just like, from the word go, he's super creepy, pressuring her for sex. He's she's like really depressed about her mom dying and about a slasher coming into her house. And he's like, I just feel like we're a little too distant right now. <laughs> and then when she finally has the like <laughs> apology thing, then he's like pressuring her again. And then he not to mention he actually did kill her mom and kill her best friend and try to kill her as well. So I'm yeah. like, I don't think you can do the Pepsi challenge and possibly name a worst boyfriend in any other movie ever. Yeah, I was when I was thinking about that, I was like, uh, Billy Zane in Titanic's pretty bad, but like somehow, he's pretty bad. <laughs> somehow, uh, what's his name? It's uh, Billy. It's 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 also Billy, isn't it's it? Bi- it's Billy Loomis. Billy Loomis, uh, which is a shout out to Doctor Loomis, who is the psychologist in all the Halloween movies. Got it. So, yeah, he's he's like awful, almost to the point where you go like, what are you doing, girl? Like, why are you sticking around for this? This guy's a problem. Um, like, he, like a that huge scene problem. When he's like, you need to get over your mom dying. I was just like, OK, even if he doesn't try to kill you, this is like a breakup. If my daughters are dating this guy, I'm like, nope, you need to run. <laughs> and, and he's just like so creepy, like everything about him. So it's such a good scene when he actually does, because you're like. This guy is clearly the guy. And then after they have sex, he goes and then she's like, well, maybe you use it. she's still kind of trying to dig into like what he did. Like maybe you used your phone call for that. And then he's like, will you ever trust me? And then he goes and uh, the scary what's it called? Screen ghost face, face, mask face, uh, ghost face, ghost face. Thank you. Ghost face jumps in and like actually stabs him to death. That's such a great twist as well, because you're like, it's got to be Billy. And then when you get stabbed, it's like, OK, I knew I knew it wasn't Billy. And right. then the twist comes again where it actually is Billy. But then it's Matthew Lillard as well. And everything clicks. Right. Every, everything clicks. And knowing um, watching it a second time and um, knowing that there are two of them, it is fun to watch the scenes and basically be like, which ghost faced am I am I watching? Like, is is this yeah. the, is this the Matthew Lillard ghost face or is this the Skeet Ulrich ghost face? Because they behave differently um, in like their in their like mannerisms, not like a ton, not that that you would know. But like Matthew Lillard's version, he's he's the one that kills. I think I believe anyway, you don't know, but I believe he's the one that kills his own girlfriend in the in the garage door. Yep. Um, because he's, he's just a little sillier. The movements are a little bit more like Matthew Lillardy, <laughs> right? Um, it's a little, a little goofy. Whereas the, m- almost all of the scenes where he's, ch- um, the guy is chasing, chasing Sydney is like really like menacing and like a little bit different. It is, it is, it's a, it's a cool twist because one of the things I think in a, in a whodunit is as soon as the killer shows up in the same scene with a say victim right you go okay it's not that person you cross them off the list so this right. movie's crossing everyone off off the list by either killing them or showing them in the scene with a killer and and so to know that like oh you know there's two so that that doesn't work as a mechanism for us to you know tell anything anymore yeah and even another slasher thing is we're gonna have a red herring we're gonna have a character that you think 
is the villain, but it's actually this person over here. And then there's a kill scene where that happens. So it's using that own uh, self-referential thing to actually be like, okay, here's the beat that's supposed to happen. But then flip it on its head where it's like, oh, it actually was Billy. It's a great twist. It's a great, great, great twist. Um, and all of like the like the super obvious red herrings throughout, I, I think, are also just like really fun. It's just like it's constant misdirection that is really on on the nose and they're OK with it. Like they just do a close up shot of like the sheriff's boots, which are the exact same boots as what we saw in the bathroom stall. Or all of the like uber creepy stuff that the principal's doing in the beginning of of the movie. You're like, like it's it's so yep. on the nose that you're like, you know, maybe not actually looking at all these people, but it's misdirecting you. It's it's asking you to look at all these other people, which I think again adds to the fun of it. It's like a detective thing, which makes it fun, even though it's a murder. That's thing. what elevates it behind above a slasher movie because it's not the thrust of this movie is not who's going to get murdered next. Which a slasher movie is literally like, okay, there's 10 people, we're going to pick them off one by one, and then the final girl will defeat the person. And that's it. That's what's going to happen. That's not what this movie is. This is not a slasher movie in that sort of way. It really is getting a lot of mileage out of like, oh, that principal is creepy. And oh, the boyfriend's creepy. And oh, wait, where's her dad? He's been missing for a long time. Like they're literally like introducing suspects over and over again and just making you do the detective work. Which to me is part of what elevates it so much. Yeah, I mean, it, it has a, a, a lot in common with like a Knives Out or something like that. That is like an actual who who done it yeah. movie, while while still like living firmly in that slasher genre. It's 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 a lot of fun, and I think yeah, like you're saying, the detective work is what makes the movie. You sort of l- lean in and are you know more scared sometimes. Do you have a least meaningful scene? Is there any scene that you're like, ah, this kind of took me out of it? <laughs> this sort of took me out of the semi goofy yet somehow serious um, uh, slasher romp. Um, I don't yep. I don't think so. I do. I do. Having watched the whole franchise, I end up really like um, liking David Arquette's character a lot. Um, but I, I think a lot of his scenes are sort of wasted in this in this movie. And he ends up not being sort of the character I think I thought I loved. And maybe it's just because he was just kind of a goofball and a, a dork in the first movie. And then he's able to have sort of a journey throughout the, the next uh, three. Um, but I think maybe some of his scenes with with Courtney Cox feel like they're not necessarily getting us anywhere, because I do think Courtney Cox's scenes with uh, Sidney Prescott and F. Campbell's character, um, the, their antagonism um, towards one another about Sydney's mom's death and whether or not the person she accused is innocent. Like that to me is like real heart inside this, the center of this interesting romp. So I almost maybe wanted a little bit more of that between the two of them and found uh, Dewey a little d- distracting to what felt like a better plot. But overall, it's all fun. Yeah. And so why not? So what was interesting for me was I forgot that that backstory was there for Sydney. I forgot that it was like, oh, there is a mom who was lost and yeah. a dad and she's grieving and all that sort of stuff. I, I really did think that was weighty. And I think Nev Campbell is great, by the way. I think her performance is really strong in this. Um, yeah. And I think she should have had a better career. I'm like, where were you at, Hollywood? You should have offered her some better parts. Like I, like I was really like charmed and emotionally affected by her journey. I felt the weight of her thinking about her mom. I was like, Everyone else is like having fun and a like kind of self-aware romp. And I was like, she's like on the bed, like crying and feeling the emotional weight and devastation. Like she's doing some real acting in the midst of all these other people just kind of hanging out. Right. And the other characters really all do seem to be just hanging out. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah she, did, she's did, in did you... like. I was just going to say she's in like. The crying game and everyone else is in like Friday the 13th part five. Like she's just really in like a I don't know why I picked the crying game, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's just in a serious drama and everyone else is in like a fun slasher movie. It's true. And, and I, I do think it's interesting that like um, Courtney Cox's character, I forget what her name is, Gail Weathers. There it is. Gail Weathers, like she actually is able to, to bounce back and forth between those camps. And I think her scenes with Sydney, she's playing into that like serious you know, innocent man accused thing that actually has some some weight and playing into that, you know, g- g- grief. And Gail is like a 
a trauma trigger for Sydney and like all this stuff. And then she'll go over and play her scenes with with Dewey. And she's, you know, just this like kind of fun, manipulative reporter. So I think she uh, Courtney Cox is able to play both sides of that line actually really well, which is also fun. Do you have like a least you hear my moment? least meaningful scene? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. You want to hear it? OK, so my least meaningful scene is the Rose McGowan like uh, scene going to get the beer and then she's in the garage and that sort of stuff. And it's really just because my garage, if you just touch it, it's going to stop moving. Like if you do the slightest little thing, it's going to go. It's fallen off the track like 16 times. And this garage door opener was from like the 1600s drawbridge where she's like in the doggy door and it's like pulling her all the way up. There's like no safety sensors, everything else like that. And I was just like, whoever wrote this scene has never owned a house and has never opened a garage. This is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Okay. That is true. As far as being taken out of the moment, I did think that during that scene, it is such a, it is the most and again, this is we get this weird, like moral, ethical thing, but it is the most fun kill in the movie. It right? is. right, Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's what zombie movies are sort of known for is like, what's the most creative, absurd way to kill a zombie? Right. Like shoved a fire extinguisher in its mouth and blew up its head or whatever. Right. Like um, yep. th- th- this to me is very much f- feels like that is that we're going to have like a fun, creative kill. But yeah, while I was I was watching it, I was like, she would have fallen out even if that door kept moving. Like the weight of how much of her is out of the back versus how much of her is out of the front. Like she would have just fallen out. <laughs> and yeah, like not, she must do yoga or something like that. The yoga strength, the Pilates that it takes to actually let yourself get killed by that. That's all I was thinking about through that scene. I, I did think this is a really creative kill and it's fun, but I'm like, right. there is no way physics, <laughs> everything else. This is just jump the shark, man. Right. The, the overhead garage door company has never built a garage door. That's this good. <laughs> but, that, that is, that is very fair. But I also do like, like that scene of like, I think Matthew Lillard's like performance inside the suit of like being so amused by what's happening is also like quite unsettling. Like while this other thing is happening, that is clearly ridiculous and stupid. Uh, but like I, I, I just remember. Yeah. Last night watching that scene and thinking like the guy in the suit right now is doing a good job like this. This feels like weird and messy. That that playful scene where shit like early on right before the garage door moment where she actually goes to the door and she's like, Oh, what are you supposed to scare me? Oh, like, and he's kind of looking at her like that. Like right. that was one of the creepy ghost face moments where it did feel like, okay, again, this self-aware, everyone's so smart and cute and winking at the camera. That right. It's like, all right, you're in danger. And again, this is another trope, right? Is like the scary movie character who doesn't realize like, I'm like Nev Campbell even says it like, you're running up the stairs when you should be running down the stairs. Like right. people in slasher movies just walk into danger and don't realize what's going. And so the way they played that scene where she's just like, I'm too cool for school. I'm, I'm going to like play into your little game or whatever else here. And then all of a sudden she realizes like what's going on and it's too late. That is really affecting. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's taking the trope like over itself. Right. Cause she's not being dumb. She thinks she's smarter than the thing. Right. Like um, and even the, 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 the scene that you said where S- Sydney talks about how like the heroine always runs up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. Like it's literally the very next like it's probably two minutes later because she says that on the phone and then Ghostface comes in to try and kill her um, and she tries to leave out the front door and it's locked. And so it's like two minutes later, she's forced to run up the stairs after having like done the right thing. And it's the, the fact that it's her doing that. It's not just uh, it's it, it is a wink to us. But also, like, there was to me, there was a character moment there of, like, the additional fear of, like, I know how to get out of a slasher movie. You just do the smart thing. And then being in the slasher movie and realizing you can't do the smart thing like that, that almost makes it more scary. Um, is like you feel trapped by the genre almost, which is a little too heady for what this movie actually is. But, like, I felt it a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Hey, I have one other question. Sure. Um, about Scream, which is, do you think it's helped or hurt by the fact that there's been so many sequels? 
Like, is, would we remember it more fondly yeah. if it was just its own standalone movie and it was like, this is an all time classic? Or do we think about it and talk about it more because there's just a movie that came out last year that was, or maybe it was this year, uh, that was a new Scream movie. Yeah, Scream 6. Um, I, you know, that's a solid question. And I don't know. I think because I, I sort of binged the franchise. So when I first saw this, I sort of saw them all together and sort of consumed it as a whole. Um, mm, that's interesting. Um, and I think um, so I, I think I watched them for the first time in like 2010. So I watched the, the first trilogy and then four came out in, in theaters like a couple months later. And I went and saw that. And then when the fifth one came out recently, I went to the theaters and saw that. And one of the best times I've had in a movie theater post post covid was sitting with a whole bunch of people watching Scream. Right. And you're all kind of getting the jump yeah. scares together. And um, so I don't know that I have a clean answer to that. I do, I, I do think, like I said at the beginning, that the different angles that they've returned to the same well and found interesting, refreshing ways to be self-referential while like maintaining a lot of the heart um, to varying degrees of success. But it's never boring or repeating the same thing. It is They do always have a different take. Um, I do really like that about the franchise. And it is sort of like my horror franchise. Um, so I do like like that and think that we we may talk about it. I, I think we talk about the franchise as as a whole, unlike The Matrix, where we think the first movie is great. Everything that came after is garbage. I do think we there is a general more level of respect for the Scream franchise going forward post the first movie, even if it is the best. At least that's how I feel. How do you feel? Yeah, I think, you know. I mean, I think like, yeah, the Matrix Jurassic Park is probably the all time example, which is the first one is an incredible masterpiece. Then they could just never make another good dinosaur movie, you know, like, um, no, I would put Scream more into like the Back to the Future category, which is like, Mm. hey, the first one is clearly above and beyond an all time classic. But the other movies are fun, too. And they're just they know they're fun. They know what they are. And it's fine. And so but but I, I was just watching it thinking about this movie and I was like scream is legitimately so groundbreaking, so influential and just really smart and fun. And because it's just a franchise that comes out every few years, I wonder if it actually gets the respect that it should, you know, in the same way, if there were 10 Rosemary baby, Rosemary baby (laughs) movies or whatever else, if there were 10 shinings, you know, like would we think the same? I guess. So I I do think the one thing, if, if they keep, making this like new trilogy and I, I haven't seen the sixth one so I, I don't know really what they did with that but after the original trilogy then the next ones came out like once every 10 years is is between one and five it was they had a trilogy that came out every couple of years in the 90s and then it was nothing until like 2010 and then they did a, a fourth which was kind of like then and they weren't trying to like refranchise it I don't think they were just like hey like let's right talk about this this thing that, that happened and let's make a new a new chapter that sort of like stands stands alone and we're not going to keep franchising it and then when they made the fifth one it was in conversation with the way that that everything is a reboot now but like an in-universe reboot and you know like g- older characters grandfathered in and so it's talking about all of that in a wash of these movies and so to me it was like using scream to talk about culture every 10 years every decade was interesting to me. Now it seems like they're going to start making them every couple of years again. And I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, four through five and when they came out, I, I'm into it. Like I, it, it had something to say each time. We are so inside baseball right now with like we, all the sequels and what was happening and what's going on. Like it's true. And it's kind of what these franchises do. You have to be like, well, in the second one, they were commenting about this. And but I do like that. Like every film is not just like, hey, we're making a movie, but it's like, OK, we're going to comment on sequels. We're going to comment on trilogies. We're going to comment on reboots. It is like so self-aware that like, even though the first one is legitimately great, the other ones still are like not just trying to be a retread. They're trying to say something and have fun as well. Yeah. So I, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. I'm glad that we, that we covered it so that I could go back and watch it and sort of remind myself why I love one, this movie, but also kind of this this franchise that it's 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 a good time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it is a fun hollow. Like if you're looking for something that's fun, that's a little smarter, that's not just gore for the sake of gore, but is kind of right. scary and creepy. This is this is a good place to start. So with all that said, Andrew, what is the meaning of Scream? What is the meaning well, of the movie? 
You may have already said it before, but this is your closing argument, your final <laughs> statement. Um, sometimes we cover movies in this podcast that are clearly supposed to be just entertainment and it's hard to pick out a deep meaning. So I'm not going to have like a Barbie movie slash Oppenheimer slash everything everywhere all at once meaning for this movie. Um, but I do think that this movie does want us to, to some degree, think about the media we're consuming while also feeding us that same diet. But it wants us to think about it, right? It, it, it. It's it's interested in the tropes and having fun with them. And I think it's also interested in the like trauma of actual murder and the fact that some people don't like some of the characters in in the movie don't care about Sydney's mom being murdered, that they're desensitized to it to the point of becoming murders. Um, I, I think this movie is is interested in media and how we consume it and how it shapes us. Um, that is watered down a little bit by the fact that it is in itself a slasher movie and wants you to have fun watching it. So um, it's it's playing in both worlds. I think it does both pretty good. Um, I think if I had to choose one side line or the other, I think this movie is having more fun than it is trying to necessarily say anything. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the meaning of the movie is this is the ultimate Gen X meditation on slasher movies on all these type of teenagers. The movie, the movie theaters will be packed out throughout the 80s and 90s of every single weekend. Drive-ins, local theaters, malls, kids getting together and watching other kids being murdered. And this is a movie that like really puts weight in it, first of all, of like, okay, these are like violent, scary acts, but also laughs at the fact that we're, what, what we're consuming this. And so I think it's really well said, Andrew, of like, this is criticizing the media that we're consuming while also giving us that same sort of media. And so maybe that critiques falls cheaper. I find it more meaningful because it's like, Hey, we are really making a movie that is scary and thrilling first and foremost, but we're also making you think like the same audience who would never go out and watch a six part documentary <laughs> on like slasher films. Are they good sure. or evil? This audience right. would never do that, but they would watch this sort of movie and it does make you question it. It makes you question like, Okay, do movies create horrible people? Does the media we create actually affect our life in some way or another? And just yeah. the fact that it asks those questions in a way that I don't think many other horror movies ever do is worth watching and thinking more deeply about. Yeah, that's a solid answer. All right, man. Well, this has been our Halloween episode, or at least our October episode, where we talk about scary movies. Yep. So we hope you enjoyed it. We'll be coming out with a new episode soon. Until then, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.